Well, hey there, welcome to Grace Church. My name is Bob Bryce and I'm one of the pastors here. And even though during this time it feels like we're yet again being pulled further and further apart, I just want to comment that no matter what, the Holy Spirit is who continues to bring the church together, continues to knit the body of Christ together in whatever way we can be together. So right now, even though we're doing it uh, online, we still know that uh, God is very much part of this and in our midst. I want to tell you about a situation I've got going on with my wife. It's an ongoing discussion that we have whenever there is a challenge or a struggle that comes up for us. Because I kind of like to take things as they come and make decisions as we go, whereas she prefers to talk through all these, I call them what-if scenarios. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? Or what if something totally unexpected happens? Then what? Wh huh? What? 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 What are we going to do? Now, there are at least two things, two truths about this that I want to bring up. First is that she's far more organized than I am. And, and, you know, she is able to see things at a far more detailed level than I ever, ever will be. It, it's like she's playing chess, only she's already somehow 20 moves ahead of me, which is good because, let's be honest, it's great to have a partner in life that sees the things that you don't. And the second thing is that this whole what-if game, this is where it really gets to me, it makes me immediately uncomfortable. Now, I'm not normally like an overly anxious person, but when we start going down this what-if road, I can feel myself getting very anxious very quickly to the point where I just, I start to even get so overwhelmed that I just begin to feel paralyzed. This happens especially during the time of the year where we go to clean out the garage. Matter of fact, just saying those words out loud starts to make me nervous. Now, normally the garage and I have no issues. E even when the garage is a mess, we, we don't have any problems. But when Tammy and I start cleaning the garage, that's when things start going downhill rather quickly. What if we put this over here? What if we got rid of that? What if we arrange that shelf over there? What if we hang this, move this, shuffle this, and sell that? It just all of a sudden becomes way too overwhelming for me. I just shut down. Asking too many questions about things that are either unknown or things that are too highly variable just seems to cause me anxiety. And when that unchecked anxiety is just sort of left to fester, it kind of leads me right into this paralyzing sense of worry. But what about you? What makes you anxious or, or leaves you feeling overwhelmed? Because let's face it, we've got a lot to choose from. We've got a lot to choose from right now at the moment, don't we? You know, it, it, is it COVID nineteen? Is it is it finances or, or your job or is it this kind of election situation? Whatever it is, you are certainly not alone in this. All of us, all of us have some level of worry about a, a whole wide variety of things. In a survey a couple of years ago, Americans that were asked revealed that their, their top sources of anxiety at that time were financial security, terrorism, health care, and race relations. I don't think much has changed, but now we just sort of sprinkle in a global pandemic in the mix of all of that, and we have 
quite the recipe for worry, don't we? And things are not, you know, shall we say, headed so much in the right direction either. This past April, a nationwide Gallup poll reported that a record 60% of those that they talked to reported daily anxiety and worry. So much so that for the first time since the Great Recession of 2008, more people than not say that they're struggling or suffering rather than thriving in their lives. So it's not really a question of whether or not each of us has times of anxiety or worry in our lives, because we all do. But the question is this, what do we do about it? How do we deal with it? In this world that is full of worry, how do we stop it before it stops us? Well, as we bring our Refocus series to a close today, we're going to be looking at how Paul helps the Philippians and also helps us with exactly this problem. But before we dive in today, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Even though we feel like we're apart, we know that in you, we are united as one body. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to face any of our problems without you. And so right now, no matter where we're at, no matter what we might be facing, no matter what struggles we may have, Lord, we invite you into our lives in a new and powerful way that you come and reveal truth to us in a way that changes us forever, that transforms us and makes us who you want us to be. We pray this and we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So far, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Philippian church and then looking at some of the key themes that are in each of the four chapters. And so the first week we talked about perspective. Uh, what does it mean to know and trust that Christ alone is the true and only source of our joy? Perspective. And then in week two, we learned about our purpose, which is that we're supposed to be shining lights in the world for Jesus, out there representing him as, as ambassadors of his grace and truth. And then last week, we were reminded that it's actually God's performance, not our performance, that saves us. So it's, it's not what we have done, but it's what Christ has done for us that makes all the difference in the way that we live our lives, not only with God, but with other people as well. And so today, Paul brings his letter to a close, and he's got this core theme of persistence. Persistence. How, how do we not give up when the going gets tough? How can we somehow press on even when we're overwhelmed and, and stressed out and feeling anxious, even with all the struggles and challenges that we face? How do we continue to press on? Because the reality is that we are living in challenging times. There are times in each of our lives where, where things just seem too much to handle. Our problems, as they say, are way above our pay grade. And the longer that things continue to go bad, the more tempting it is to just sort of walk away from faith entirely or to never quite get around to knowing Jesus in the first place because it just all seems so unrealistic. 
Now, Paul realizes this. He realizes and he knows that this is a real struggle. And so his, his encouragement, not only to the Philippians, but also to us, is that now is not the time to give up. In fact, it's the time for us to stand firm in faith. Not abandon faith, but stand firm in faith because persistence brings peace. Persistence brings peace. But it doesn't bring peace in the way that the world works or understands. No. For the kind of peace that Paul is talking about, it has to be something that, that transcends our circumstances, not something that is limited by them. It has to come from someone big enough to handle the job and do it once and for all. So we not only need to know who we're supposed to turn to, but also how and when and what difference it can make when we do turn to that person. So to help us really get this today, I want to look specifically in Philippians chapter 4, just three verses, verses 4 to 7. 4 to 7. I guess that's four verses, actually. Four verses. Even though it's just, you know, a small number of verses, I think that you're going to find that these are some of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. But at the same time, just because they may sound familiar to us doesn't mean that we automatically see the depth of truth that's contained in them right away. And so I'm going to start by, by reading these verses, and then we're going to look at each one in a little bit greater detail. Starting at verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So right away, we see, just like we did at the beginning, we see this recurring theme of joy here. But again, this kind of joy is not like a call for us to be happy about bad circumstances. It's, it's not like a, a grin and bear it type thing. It's not like a philosophical argument that can really help turn our frown upside down by just pretending that somehow everything is okay and wonderful even when it isn't. That's not what's going on here. But you'll notice that Paul tells us that because he doesn't say to rejoice in our circumstances. He says that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always, good or bad circumstances. Again, the source of the joy that Paul is talking about is found in Jesus alone, which means that no matter what we're facing, when we turn to Jesus and when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, then we can start to experience the kind of, of true joy that defies our circumstances. It doesn't depend on our circumstances. It defies our circumstances. And it's when we find our joy in Jesus that his character starts to come forth in us. It starts to be what the world sees in us. Take a look at verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, the word here that's translated as reasonableness can just as appropriately be translated as gentleness. But either way, both of these words 
are driving at the same point, which is that when we come to know Christ and when we are found in Christ, then the world sees in us the expression of God's character, the, the character of Jesus becomes apparent in us, in who we are and how we live our lives, how we conduct ourselves. Because it's no longer at that point about me, 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 is it? Remember earlier in chapter two, uh, verse three, Paul says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Count others more significant than yourselves. And it's through this godly expression of the character of Christ, this expression of, of gentleness and reasonableness that the world sees that the Lord is in fact near. That's how the world knows that the Lord is near. He's calling out to them through us and inviting people into relationship with Jesus. And we know, at least from a logical perspective anyway, whether we want to admit it or not, that people don't come to Jesus. They don't come to Christ by us making demands and angrily pointing fingers and shaming everyone who doesn't think and behave like us. Remember, actually, last week we, we referred to all that plan as gospel plus. But after all, it's, it's the gentleness. It's the gentleness and the kindness of Jesus that makes him say, come to me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's the gentleness of Jesus that draws us in. But how can we be gentle and how can we be reasonable when we're so often overwhelmingly anxious and sometimes angry? To me, that's the million dollar question because when we're anxious and when we're angry, we're anything but kind and gentle, right? And consequently, our witness to Jesus Christ suffers. It, it does. It has to. Because why would an already angry and anxious world think that Jesus is the answer if his ambassadors are just as angry and anxious as they are? Maybe even more. Well, to better understand what we're really, truly up against here, I think we need to start by looking and, and understanding a little bit more about exactly what Paul means with the word anxious. Because the word he, he uses uh, is translated here as anxious, but it's also in other places in Scripture translated as worry. It could be translated as worry here, anxious, uh, worry. Th these are related things, uh, even though we're familiar with them, though. That doesn't mean, even if we use them all the time, doesn't mean that they're not just a little too abstract for us to grasp onto in terms of what Paul's talking about. And this is one of those cases where I really think the original Greek, the original language can help clarify things a little bit more than we get just in the English language alone. Because the Greek word that Paul uses that we have translated as anxious is really a combination of two other Greek words. And one of those two words means to tear apart or to divide. And the other one means mind. So as Paul understands it, and as he's writing about it here, anxious in this particular case means to tear apart your mind with something, to tear apart your mind with something. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start to feel anxious, it's exactly what it feels like to me. 
it feels like my mind is being torn in two. And the more I tell myself not to worry about something, it seems like the more I end up being worried about it. And of course, this just goes round and round and around and around. And it only seems to escalate from there. Now, if we just think about this, this little cycle or this little pattern from a, from a worldly or an unbeliever's perspective, actually makes quite a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because if people have no anchor in life, if they've, if they've got no plan or guide and they've got no one caring for them or about them, and there's no understanding of a creator or a designer or, or any kind of greater purpose or anything like that, there's nothing genuine to hold on to, it's no wonder that anxiety continues to be a problem in the world, right? I mean, it's bound to get worse, and we're seeing that. It is getting worse. But if all we do is look to the world for answers, then we quickly realize the best the world can offer is to help us manage our anxiety. That's the best the world can do, is to offer to, to, to help us manage our anxiety. And now let me be clear here. I'm, I'm talking about the kind of general anxiety and worry that we all face almost daily in life. Not like a specific mental health issue or a diagnosis. And I'm not saying that there aren't some helpful tools and strategies out there that, that can help each of us manage this kind of everyday anxiety. But my question is, what if that's not enough? What if we want more than that? What if we want to just eliminate anxiety altogether? Well, take a look at Paul's solution to this in the first part of verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. That's it? That's it. I mean, no offense, Paul, but come on, man. If it were as simple as just telling ourselves to knock it off, well, that would be great. But it doesn't work that way, does it? I mean, if we could just stop it, we would just stop it, right? I don't know people that are saying, boy, I sure enjoy being anxious, but we can't seem to stop it, at least not through our own willpower anyway. And yet, nevertheless, Paul writes it in this letter, not, not like as a cute little tip, but as a forceful command. It's emphatic. Do not be anxious about even one thing, which just feels pretty unreasonable, doesn't it? If not, if not offensive. I mean, you know, after all, well, Paul doesn't know my problems. He doesn't know what I'm up against. He doesn't know my situation. How can he possibly say something that's so, so callous and, and insensitive and, and, and irresponsible? Well, at the same time, it's not like Paul is saying this without precedent. Because if you don't know already, Jesus basically says the same thing in more detail right in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, literally just a few verses after the Lord's Prayer that we just spent seven weeks exploring together, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, don't hear what Jesus isn't saying, okay? He's not saying, like, we should just sort of sit around and be lazy and expect everything to be done for us. But what he is saying is that we're not supposed to let the circumstances and the struggles we face tear our minds apart with worry. We're not supposed to have the kind of, of divided mind that obsesses and worries, especially about the very things that God has promised to provide. Because not only does that damage our witness to Jesus, but it also damages our health. This is a very real thing. Worry and stress is very, very destructive on the body. So, of, of course, that's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want to see us, you know, torn apart by anxiety and stress. But then again, just telling ourselves not to worry over and over again doesn't actually make us not worry, right? Matter of fact, sometimes it just makes us worry more. I know, for example, whenever I tell my wife, don't worry about it, she immediately takes that as the exact opposite. It's fascinating. When I say, don't worry about it, she hears, this is much worse than I thought. And honestly, she's usually right. Because I typically say that right after I've really screwed something up. I think she's on to me. But right in the middle of verse 26, Jesus gives us this big clue right here in all of this, this talk about not worrying. He gives us a big clue that, that I think is just hiding in plain sight. And we often miss this little nuance because we just, uh, you know, let it pass by without really thinking about it. But take a look at verse 26 again. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, here's the key, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So notice he says, your heavenly father feeds them, not their heavenly father feeds them. And I think that's a really significant distinction because it tells us that when we become followers of Jesus, then we have something special. We have something unique. We suddenly have a heavenly father who's perfect. It's, he's a perfect father, a good father who loves and cares for his children and therefore never abandons them. It's through Jesus that we're able to have a real relationship with God where we never again have to face our struggles alone. We don't have to feel like we're doing this by ourselves. And so unlike this world that is full of, of, of desperation and hopelessness, Believers have someone to call upon and count on, to call upon and count on. And Paul helps us see this in the second part of verse 6. Remember, the first part, he says, do not be anxious about anything. But then in the second part of verse 6, he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Word but here is significant because it lets us know that, that what follows is totally different than what comes before it. In other words, don't do this, but do this instead. Don't be anxious, but instead pray. Why? Well, 
because prayer purges anxiety. Prayer purges anxiety. When we, when we have a divided mind that's being torn apart with worry, turning to God in prayer has the power to purge precisely what is trying to destroy us. And, and it ends up making room for what brings us life, gets rid of the dead and brings new life. We don't want to just manage anxiety. We want to get rid of it entirely. I think about when I'm cleaning out my garage, I don't want to just move the stuff around uh, and then turn around and have to move that same stuff next year and then again the year after that and over and over again. I don't want to move the stuff around. I want to get rid of it entirely so for once I can finally park in the garage. It's through the gift of prayer that we've been given the power to clear out the crap by giving it over to a God who has promised to take it from us. He has promised to take it from us. But, but what if we don't know, you know how, how to pray or, or what to pray about? Well, a good place to start is the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, starting around uh, verse 9. Maybe praying through Psalm 23 or, or, or through Psalm 27, because both of those psalms are not only well-known, they deal directly with what it means to trust God, especially to trust God in times of difficulty. Pray through those things. But remember, as we're making requests known to God and we're asking for things, that, that prayer is not just about our requests. It's also a time to praise and thank God. Praise and thank God. So maybe, maybe it's time for you to take a look back on your life and see maybe in a new way, in a way that you've not seen before, how God has been faithful all along the way. And as we celebrate this week, in most likely a new and not improved version of Thanksgiving, I would encourage us to remember that, well, just because the location or the format may be different, that doesn't mean that we should be any less thankful, right? What would it be like for us to come to God together in prayer this week and thank him for how faithful and how trustworthy he's been in our lives? But when it comes to being thankful, it comes to truly understanding what Thanksgiving is really all about. Most of all, we should be thanking God for Jesus. We've got to thank God for Jesus. Let's thank him for doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. Let's thank him for taking our sin, all of our shortcomings, all of our sicknesses, and, and for kind of swallowing all of it up into the cross so that whatever struggles we face right now, this is not the end. It's not the end of the story. Let's thank him for the promise of new life, the new life we find in him for, for all who call upon the name of Jesus. And, you know, maybe right now, I don't know where you're at, but maybe right now it's time for you to just sort of simply sit down and, and write a letter of resignation. Write a letter of resignation from being the boss of your life and, and resign yourself from trying to control everything by, by worrying and stressing out about it all. And instead, just ask God to be the one to lead and to guide you right now, right now, more than ever before. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says this, Cast all your anxiety on him 
because he cares for you. Cast your anxieties, or some translations say cast your cares because he cares for you. Now, when we take God at his word on this, when we trust that he will, in fact, take our burdens and, and he will accept the, the job and be the leader of our lives, the one that we truly need, not necessarily the one that we want, but the one that we truly need, then that's when we will start to experience this peace like no other. It's, it's a peace from God that, that not only defies our circumstances, but it, it's also totally unexplainable from a worldly perspective. We don't, we don't have the right language. We don't have the right understanding. We can't explain it. It surpasses our understanding. It just doesn't seem to make sense to us. And, and yet again, the best the world can offer is only to help us manage our anxiety. But, but the peace of God is able and capable of destroying our anxiety entirely. That's what Paul is getting at. Take a look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in other words, when we start to feel anxious and overwhelmed, then rather, allowing, uh, rather than allowing our minds to be torn apart with worry, what if we just turned to God in prayer instead. And while each of us might deal with this differently and, and our experiences might be completely different, and therefore the frequency of all this might be completely different, the core truth is that no matter what, persistence brings peace. Persistence brings peace. Persisting in prayer it deepens our relationship with God. And when we cast our cares upon Jesus, and we do this over and over and over and over again, it, it continues to build our relationship with him, and it also continues to purge anxiety from us like nothing else can. Do you believe that? Have you experienced it? Have you, have you experienced this, this unexplainable, seemingly irrational peace from God that, that transcends the chaos and the struggles and the circumstances of the world? transcends the circumstances in our lives. I pray that you've experienced that, that peace or that you will experience that peace. I pray that you, that you won't allow anxiety to steal your joy, but that you will instead turn to the God who has already turned to you in the person of Jesus. He's already turned to you and he's, he's waiting with open arms and he's inviting you to let him be the Lord of your life, the source of your hope and the savior of your soul. Amen.